Well, the second half of the chapter, it starts off with Nehemiah showing up at Jerusalem. And it says he didn't tell anyone anything. And he says, he specifically says about that, I didn't tell anyone the things that God has put on my heart. Now, it's important to understand that Nehemiah is not saying, God told me to do this. God told me to do that. There's a lot of danger with walking around saying, this is what God told me to do. Um, There's a lot of bad history with people going around saying, this is what God told me to do. And it's not even a religious thing. It's just we have this in us that if you take the whole religious thing out, what's really being said there is, I just need to do what's right. I know what's good, and I'm just going to do what's good. There's a danger with that. And the danger that we see is that a lot of times we don't know what's good. And even if we do know what's good, we're not doing what's good. And everything that Nehemiah is looking at here is the damage that's caused to his country, to this city, to the people he loves and cares about, to his life. And if you look back at the story, it was people thinking, we're on the side of right. We know what's good. We think that God is on our side. We think we're going to win this battle. And the prophets told them, no, this is something that the Lord is doing. You're not going to win. And the result is them pushing out and saying, we know what's right and we are going to do these things. The destruction that they see is all you know, the result of their failure in that. Now what Nehemiah says is sort of understood by what it is that he does. And what he does is he goes around the wall without telling anyone. He's got these things on his heart. And what does he mean by these things that are on his heart? He's feeling like that God's put them there. It explains what it is he means by that when it says he goes out into the walls and it's at night, he brings some people with him, and he goes around and he looks at them, at all the destruction that's there. But the word that he says is, he says, I went out to examine or to inspect. And that word to us just means, I went out and I just looked and saw things as they were. But that's not exactly what that word means. Because the other places in Scripture where that word is used is in the story of Ruth, a beautiful story. The story of Esther uh, is used in Psalms. And in those cases, it's always translated as something that I'm waiting for. It's uh, translated as a hope that I have. And so what is different, and it's hard to encapsulate in a translation there, is he's viewing the destruction with a hope as to what it can be. In other words, he's taking a realistic look at the way things are, but he's not leaving his hope as things are. He's looking at it with a view to what he thinks it could or should be. So I tried to think of an example. The only is sort of a stupid example, but I thought, like, let's say you had some money, you're going to go buy a house. A lot of people will go out and, and look at a house, and they'll see that it's blue, and they hate blue. It's the color they hate worse than any other color. And so they look at the house and they're like, I don't want this house. And so then they'll pass on it. <laughs> but other people that hate blue too might come and look at the house and say, man, I hate blue, but I love red. I think I'm going to buy this house because if I paint it red, <laughs> it's going to look great. <laughs> so that's the difference. One set of things is looking at things just this is the way it is. 
And it causes us to just pass on a lot of stuff, a lot of opportunities, because all we can see is just with this tunnel vision that's dictated to us by things that we just don't like. But Nehemiah is saying, no, there's another way to look at things. You can look at things and be realistic, not look at it with rose-colored glasses, but look at it with a hope of what it could be. And he says, if we're going to look at things with a hope of what it could be, he says, I'm going to look at it with a hope in terms of what I think God will do. Now, what's the difference between a hope of what God will do and a hope of what we think we can do? Because when he goes and looks at this and everybody looks at it, what he wants to do is actually just completely thought of as impossible with everybody, given the state of destruction, given the power that they have, given the abilities that they have to do this, it's an impossible task. And what he is saying is, is the reason why he's not going and talking to anybody about this is because he's saying, what I have in my heart that I feel needs to change, what it is I have in my heart that's pushing me forward to do something, I will not let that be dictated by what other people consider to be possible or impossible. It survives, it exists, and I'm going to follow it, whether people think it's possible or not. And the reason why I can do that is because I'm not hoping in what is possible or what is impossible. The hope that's in my heart is not constricted to what is possible. I'm free to explore things on my heart that people view as impossible. And that's a good lesson to us. Because if we start viewing things and things of what are on our heart in terms of what's possible, I just feel like this or this, whether you attach it to God or not, you just, everybody has things on our heart. And if we're just thinking about what's possible, we're just going to be stuffing those things down and never stepping forward. But what coming to Jesus means is it opens up a possibility, opens up a hope, opens up another path for these things that are on our heart. Because then it becomes a question of, well, what's God going to do? Is he with me on this or not? If our hope is that God is with us, that this is pleasing to God as it was pleasing to the king, and that when the king was pleased, he didn't just take it as the king being pleased, he took it as, this is a miracle that just happened here, that this king is pleased. There's no way this evil guy could be pleased with this if it wasn't for something that God was doing. And when we take that step of faith, what it does is it opens the things that are in our heart to a whole new level, a level that isn't dictated by what we think is possible, what we think we can do. And that change then is now, it's not like, oh, I don't, you know, if I think I can fly, I can fly. We obviously have limitations. We're not going to fly. But what he's saying is is now our hope, we can shift it and say, well, let's think about things instead of just looking at what I can and can't do or what we think can or can't be done and let my heart be dictated by that. Let me start looking at and see, is there anything that I can see that God might be doing? (laughs) 
Is there any indication happening that the things that I see that God might be doing is lining up with what it is that's in my heart? And that's why he goes to them and he says, look, this is what happened with the king. That's a miraculous thing. I don't know. You could look at how could that ever happen? Yet it happened and it lines up with this thing that God's been putting in my heart. So take courage because I think this is something that God is doing. Don't take trust in who I am. Now, when he uh, looks at it, he says, um, you see the, he comes back and he talks to them, and he says, you see the bad situation that we are in. The, uh, again, the word is a little bit harsher or stronger than the way we use bad situation. The word is actually just the uh, word for the worst possible bad, just evil is what it is. It's the strongest use of the idea of evil. In other words, he's saying, look, here's what the problem is. It's not just that there's these walls that need to be, that have been broken down and now they need to be rebuilt. It's not just about a building that needs to be rebuilt. It's not just about the manual task of making this thing happen. You know, as we think about things that are in our hearts, sometimes we just think about things in terms of, okay, well, I'm just going to do this and do this and do that. But what we don't understand is that there's something that's always going to oppose those things. And that's what he's getting at. He says, look, the problem is not just these walls. The problem is that evil is shaping things right now. (laughs) And what we need is for good to start shaping things. In other words, as we pursue things, whenever we have something in our heart, it's always something that we feel like, man, something needs to change here. Something needs to be different. And we can go through all the things that we think need to be changed. I can put this board here or that there. I can do this or I can do that. We think about it in terms, but what Nehemiah is saying, no, that's not actually the real problem. If that was the real problem, the problem would have been fixed a long time ago. The problem is that evil is shaping things, that we are using and have been using evil to shape things, but what we need is for God to use good to shape things. Now, how is it that we use evil to shape things? We do it every single day, all the time. The example he gives is he says, we've been a reproach. Uh, That word reproach, it means that to view someone with disapproval or disappointment. What are we doing when we view something with disapproval and disappointment? If we're thinking in terms of what's possible, this is where we're always going to go. We're going to be disappointed with what we do, with who we are. We're going to be disappointed with everybody else. We're going to be disapproving. And we have this weird thing that we think, as we express disapproval and disappointment, that that's somehow going to change things. No, he says that's the epitome of evil right there. Putting out to people disappointment, disapproval, using it to to try and push people in one direction, using it to motivate ourselves. Look, when we 
send someone to prison, what are we doing? Is that a good thing? People think, well, I mean, it's accomplishing something good, right? Like something needs to be done. Something needs to be pushed here. What that is is us hoping that we will be able to shape things with evil to become good. And Nehemiah is just saying, look, the, whatever it is we say that good is, that's one thing. The good is actually impossible. But the big problem is, is that we just can't resist trying to shape things with evil. And this word evil and the word that he uses for please, it's actually the same two words that are used at the beginning of the Bible with the Garden of Eden when it says Adam and Eve were told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, look, if you guys look at things in terms of trying to shape things by evil or shape things by good, you can't avoid that temptation. You're always going to go back to starting to shape things by evil. And that's what ended up happening. Cain tried to shape things by killing his brother. Evil. And the history of the world is us trying to shape things. We say, well, the end is good. Is it? How can the end be good when the process is, let's use evil to accomplish that? Is war, well, I mean, it's good because the good person's going to win. Is the good person going to win? But is that an acceptable process to throw out so much evil to be able to try and make something? You see, we just can't resist. And, and it goes down to this little level of just looking at someone with a discouraging eye, just sort of looking at them with disappointment. What are we trying to do? Put some pressure on them to try and, you know, make them feel like you need to start getting this right next time because I'm just so disappointed in you right now? Or I'm just so disappointed with myself. It goes all the way down to that. That's us trying to bring good about by, through discouragement. And what Nehemiah is saying is, not only does this hope in God free us from the things everyone thinks is impossible to the fullest extent of let's just look at things that are even impossible, but it frees us from this necessity that we feel that there's always some reason why we have to come back to throwing out a little bit of evil to get something done. (laughs) We need to throw out a little bit of evil to be able to push things and shape things in a direction. That there's some sort of necessity for us. It's like when Jesus went to the cross, Peter just thought, this is, at the very least, this is the moment now when some evil needs to be done, I'm going to pull out a sword, and this is what's going to happen. And Jesus cuts off the guy's ear, and Jesus says, what are you doing? If that's what I want to do to to bring judgment, and I can call down 10,000 angels to do that. He picks the ear up and puts it back on the guy. He says, I'm only going to shape things by good. I'm not going to do that. And then we say, well, what's the result then? Well, then he was killed. So what hope is there in that? Well, the only hope in that is that God raised him from the dead three days later. It says that they mocked and despised us. Well, when any 
whenever anybody hears this, and I'm talking about church people just as much as anyone else, when people hear this, that there's zero reason why we ever need to go to trying to shape things from evil, that we can just trust that God is going to shape things through good. And what's the God, the, the good that God is shaping things with? Through forgiveness and grace and mercy. But we just think it can't just be that. There has to be some reason, some place where we're going to push back. There has to be some reason when we're going to appeal to this other side. And the thought that God is going to accomplish things just by shaping things through good, that just seems laughable to us. And we just mock that in our hearts. It says, Sanballat, the Hornonite, Tobiah, the Amorite, And Geshem, the Arab, heard about it. A new person is added to the group. Geshem, the Arab. They mocked us and despised us. And then they said the point of this mocking and despising. It wasn't just that it was laughable. But they said, what is this thing you are doing? You are rebelling against the king. They're telling Nehemiah where their hope is. And by the addition of this third guy, the Arab, what they're clearly saying here in conjunction, they already know the king is behind. People say, well, why does Nehemiah respond by saying the God of heaven will give us success? Why doesn't he just say the king of Babylon is behind me and you guys can't defeat the king of Babylon, so this is going to happen. The king of Babylon is on my side. Well, because they already know that. That's not new knowledge to them. What they are saying is, is, look, You feel like you have some right to this land, that you have some portion here. We've joined in with this third person. We have a right to it before you. We have rights of ownership to this land just as much as you do, if not more. And what they're saying in terms of who has a right to own this place, we're going to make our case, and we believe our case will be stronger than your case. And they say, in terms of going to the king, right now you have the king on your side. But what are they saying by this statement? You're rebelling against the king? They're saying, we're going to go to the king ourselves, and we'll see. And we believe that the king, in the end, will be on our side. And then it will be us versus you, and we're stronger than you. And that makes sense as to why Nehemiah responds the way that he does. Nehemiah says, the God of heaven will give us success. He says, look, I'm not trusting. The king is on my side. But you're very, you think we're all on the same page, that we're all trusting in where the king will go with this. And that's not, he says, there's something different going on here. See, sometimes we look at problems and we just think, one person's over here and one person's over here, and that's the difference between the two. He says, no, that, that's not actually the difference between us, this. The difference is something else. And here's what he says the difference is. He says, but you have no portion. That word portion is mostly used by Moses to describe the Levites. And what the Levites are is a group of people in Israel that when they went into the land, a portion of the land was given to all the different tribes except for the tribe of Levi. They were given no portion in the land. And God said, I will be your portion. 
what Nehemiah is saying, look, all the people who were given a portion have all been taken away and aren't going to be heard from again. But what we're hoping in is not who's the owner. We're looking for a hope in God giving us the benefits of being an owner without being an owner. See, sometimes we think the argument is, is who's going to be in charge? And he's saying, and the argument, we're all basically thinking the same thing. If I need to be in charge, I need to be in charge. My side needs to be in charge. But he's saying, look, I'm looking for a hope that goes beyond that. Even when I'm not in charge, even when we're as far from being in charge as possible, even when we're just nomads, even when we, we don't have any ownership of it at all, I'm trusting that God will give us the benefits of that that are unattached to that thing. And then he says, right, or the word is righteousness. And again, that goes back to Moses saying, if you follow all these laws, then that will be your righteousness. That's the word right there. But then Moses said, look, but just so you know, you're not going to follow all those, and you're going to be taken away to another country. And when you're there, when you realize that this righteousness by your works of doing this has failed, there is another righteousness that's available, a righteousness by faith. What's the difference? One is a righteousness by I know what the right thing is to do it. And he's saying, look, the difference between us is not that I think I know what's right and you think you know what's right. The difference is, is that we're both wrong. We're both unrighteous. But let's ask, if we're going to ask what God's going to do, will God treat us as though we're righteous even though we're not? Will God treat us as though we have ownership even though we don't? Will God treat us as though we're righteous even though we're not? And then he says, you have no memory or no memorial. You, you don't understand. You don't remember what this place is about. Because they think they remember it in terms of the land, in terms of power, in terms of this. But that word remembrance, it always goes back to the Passover, where it's remembering that they were saved by God, not saved by themselves. It's remembering that the promise of God that was given there to them was not the promise that a Savior would come in and take over and bring power and save them from the Babylonians and be more powerful than this other group or be more powerful than the Roman Empire. That the Savior that we needed, the Savior that we need to remember is that we need that Savior to die on the cross for our sins. He's saying that's the difference. The only difference between that he's pointing to isn't a difference of a name. Christian, religious, Jewish. It's not, it's not a label that he's talking about. It's not a difference in terms of who's good and who's bad. That's not the difference. It's not a difference of who can save themselves and who can't save themselves. That's not the, the real difference. The only difference is who is hoping that God is going to step into this situation? Who's hoping that God will step in? Some people are hoping just see this destruction and the damage, and we just see that the only hope is that God will come down here to earth. It's a hope that God will insert himself into our lives. 
and those that don't. The only distinction is between those that that feel like we can figure out what's right and we can do it, and those who have just given up hope on that and just said, look, as far as I look at everything, I don't think we're really going to be able to grab a hold of what's right. And even when we do, I don't really see us doing it. I just don't really see much hope in that. But I'm hoping that God will step in and that God will do what's right, that God will start shaping things by what he sees as good. And the hope is not who is going to gain power over this person or that, who is going to be able to gain more votes, who's going to sort of be able to game the system, who's going to be able to get more money or more power. That, that, we're, not, we're on a different page with that. It's not about that. It's about what is God going to do to make things right? How is he going to step in? How is he going to save us? How is he going to make things right? And as it turns out, he's doing all of those things, not by judgment, not by separating in those terms, but by faith. Faith in what? Faith in God's graciousness, God's mercy, God's forgiveness, starting to change our hearts and free us. And the hope is that in the end, he will fix all these things. But for right now, in this place and time, it's about just having a little bit of faith that that's where God's going, but he's not going to leave everybody behind. (laughs) That's where God's going, but he's not willing to just destroy the whole earth to get there. That's where God's going, but he's not willing to say, you don't fit in. (laughs) He's moving our hearts so that we'll say yes. And that's the only distinction. Yes. But it's not yes to I'm better than you. It's not yes to I own this or this. It's not yes to I'm bad. None of that. It's just yes to I think God loves me enough that he's going to come down here and be with me. It's yes to the fact that God's forgiving me. God's gracious to me. God's merciful to me. And yes to, I don't know how things are going to get fixed because I'm not going to be able to fix them, but I'm just trusting that that God is fixing it. And I've got enough that's happening here. And Nehemiah is saying, don't just take it in blind faith. He says, look out and examine things. But don't just examine it as things are. Examine it with this hope to see, does God care about us? Is he in my life? Do I see these things of, hope that come from graciousness and mercy and forgiveness, do I see those things starting to shape some things in my life? He's asking us to take a look at things with a hope in God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for all that you do for us. Help us to take a realistic look at things around us and to see, is there a hope in you? Have you made your hope known to us? Is there anything that we can look at to see that there's, that we could have a hope that you're in our life, that we could have a hope that you're going to give us a righteousness that that we don't deserve, that you're going to view us that way, even though we're not? Is there a hope that you're going to fix us, that you're going to save us? Lord, we lift all these things up to you in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Dennis.
Uh, we're going to continue. Mon, oh. I'm going to do the communion real quick. I don't know. We're probably going to do it a little bit later. But since I'm up here, I'll just go ahead and do it. All right. The Lord Jesus on the same night that he was betrayed, which is a good thing to think about because he's talking about him being a Savior that needed to die on the cross for us, a Savior that needed to give his life for us. And our participation in that is summed up by this statement. On the same night that he was going to save the world, he was betrayed by all of us. On the same night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he said, given all that, this is my body, which is broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup. And after he had up, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's a new way that God is going to view us based on my sacrifice for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. I'll go ahead and take what whatever piece of bread or cracker you have and, and the cup, and let's eat it and drink together. Jesus, we thank you for coming down and being here, for becoming Jesus in the flesh. We thank you for being one of us. We thank you for the gift that you've given to take all of the things that we've done wrong onto yourself and to answer to justice for us and to take it all on you. And thank you, God the Father, for raising Jesus from the dead and giving us a hope in the things that you were shaping. We lift all these things up to you and remember you, Jesus. In your name, Jesus, amen.